0: Good morning, and uh, and good to be with you. If you're visiting, really glad that you're here. We are in Exodus, as you can see. Uh, Exodus chapter 5, moving along in the story, and uh, right about now where the action is starting. I mean, there has been action before, but chapters 1 through 4 are kind of like laying the foundation for everything that that we know the, the most about the exodus. We know the, the plagues and uh, parting the sea and going out into the wilderness. Uh, we've seen in chapters one through four um, the, the situation of Israel in Egypt. It's not good right? They're slaves. Things, things rarely go well for slaves. Uh, we get to see Moses' birth, how he is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He gets uh, chased out of Egypt. He, he goes and lives in the wilderness for a number of years. He meets God at the burning bush. God tells him, I'm going to set my people free, and actually, I'm going to send you to, uh, to, to go do it. And uh, Moses says, I don't want to. And then God says, you're going to. Uh, and so, you know, he, he eventually gets there. God almost kills him only once. And if you weren't here last week, you'd just have to go back and listen because we can't do that one again. Um, and now they're back in Egypt. So they're back in Egypt again. Moses, his brother Aaron, back in Egypt again. It feels like here is where we're finally going to start seeing some progress being made in God's plan to set the people of Israel free. Um, but what we see is not really the kind of progress that we expect. God expects it, but, but we don't expect it, and it's clear from reading and just seeing what happens. Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel, it feels like going backwards, not going forwards. And so, uh, so chapter five, verse one says this. Just Start getting into it. Uh, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Should not be a surprise that he has this response because God has already said like three or four times, Pharaoh's not gonna let my people go. Um, but look at the way that Pharaoh says no. It's, it's important to get this. It's important that you understand, uh, especially if, if you're someone who uh, grew up in a Christian home and, and you grew up going to church and most of your social circle is other Christians which is not a bad thing. But if, if that's kind of you and your experience, there, there might be something here that uh, you can be a little unaware about. Um, because for you, whatever God says, that, that holds a lot of weight, right? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, in fact, the primary consideration in all of your decision-making is What does God say about this? Is this something God approves of? Is this something God disapproves of? And and if you're a Christian and it's not, it should be. And so we can talk about that. Um, But that that should be a really big factor in how you make decisions because you, you care about what God thinks. You want to live your life in a way that honors him. Uh, You you trust him. You trust that his way is better than your way, Uh, that his way leads to the most joy and the most peace and the most meaningful life you could possibly have. And you know whenever I choose my way instead of God's way and and I reject his way, that's the thing that leads me to regret. That's the thing that leads me into all this pain that I could have avoided if I was just listening to God's way. Um, All these things, that's just... part of the way that you live your life. It's part of the way that you think about life, and maybe more than you even realize. And, and if your circle is mostly other Christians, the people around you all kind of think the same way. The, the thing is, not everyone cares what God says. And some of the things God says that just seem so obvious to you because you've believed it for so long and you've seen the truth of it, um, it it's not obvious to everyone. And, and all that to say, for, for some people, if, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and your immediate response is, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. Um, that can become a conversation stopper for some people. Uh, so, so, like, if you're talking to someone and you say, well, I don't, I don't think you should have sex before marriage. And they say, why? And you say, well, God says so. God's word says so. And they go, I don't believe in God. And it just, like, ends right there, right? Like, you can't really take that much further. Why, why would someone listen to a God that they don't believe in, uh, that, that they don't care anything about? Um, if if that's the kind of conversation you're having, I mean, you can make it go another places. You can say, you know, you, you look at the statistics, cohabitation before marriage leads to a much higher rate of divorce than people who don't live together before marriage. You can even start talking about why that's actually really useful. Like, here's, wha- here's what God's word says about marriage. Here's why it's good that sex is reserved for the boundaries of marriage. Here, you can talk about all those things, um, and, and that's fine, but it's not always going to be helpful to bring a conversation to the point and say, well, this is what God's word says. Uh, and this is why with your, your friends who aren't Christians or your neighbors, your coworkers, your family who are not Christians, it's less important to get people to try and do what God says than it is to get them to know who God is. Does that make sense? Way less important to get people to do what God says than it is to get them to know who God is because it's when you know who God is, when you know who Jesus is, you know his, his love for you, you know how good he is, that's when you start caring about what he says right? that That's the re- That's where our obedience comes from. It's because we trust him, because we love him, because we see who he is, we trust how good he is. Um, but, but that's where it has to start. We have to get the order right, and it's just not going to be effective. And it's not going to be helpful if all you're doing is policing behaviors, and you don't make the effort to try and get people to know who Jesus is. Like That's what we're trying to do here. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't care about right now, I don't care about the way that you're living your life and trying to correct different things and align you with what God's word says about how you should live your life. I want you to know Jesus first. When you know Jesus first, that's when you're going to start to see and trust what God says about all these different other things. Okay? So, so that's the order. And for you, if you're not a Christian, we want you to know Jesus. Anyways. Let's keep reading, verse three. So Pharaoh says, I don't care about this God who I don't know and I'm not gonna listen. Verse three, uh, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people of their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. These verses are pretty revealing about human nature. Um, Moses and Aaron, they're they're asking for some time off for the people of Israel who are slaves, they're they're overworked, they're mistreated already. We see all that in chapter one. We see more of it throughout the first four chapters. And there is some debate whether they're they're really asking God for just let us go and and offer sacrifice in the wilderness, or if like a three days journey is an idiom for a much longer journey, and, and so everyone knows that they're actually asking to leave. There's some debate over that, not really sure. Either way, Pharaoh's response gives us insight into human nature and how those at the top view those who are at the bottom. And, and it's not something that's restricted to those who are at the very tippy-top, the elite of the elites, and then the very bottom, bottom of the barrel, people who are at the lowest. Um, anyone who is higher on the economic or the social ladder uh, can have this same sort of view, these same sort of thoughts toward anyone who's lower, even if the distance is a lot shorter than Pharaoh and the Hebrew slaves, um, where y- y- you start hearing complaints from people who are lower, and and you hear them say, like, I want a break, or I want this, or I, I wish this was better, and, and you start saying, like, you're only saying that because you're lazy. <laughs> you don't work hard enough. You know, if you just worked harder, if you just wanted more, if you were less distracted, then you wouldn't have these problems. You wouldn't be complaining, you wouldn't be talking like this. Um, There's this insidious part of our human nature where we can easily start making the worst assumptions and lobbing accusations at people who are struggling. Especially when those people who are struggling have the audacity to talk about how hard it is for them and start talking about, I wish this was different, I wish this was better. There's someone who who graduated with my older brother, my older brother, Kyle. Uh, his graduating class, I think his, uh, his name was Tim. I think it was Tim Rasko. He did a TED talk, which was like kind of cool. It wasn't like the big TED talk in front of like a thousand people. They do like smaller ones, but it's like still kind of cool. Um, I listened to it, and uh, and it was an interesting topic. So he started by reading a quote from someone in the workforce talking about the new generation entering the workforce, and uh, and so this guy who's been in it. Complaining about the new generation coming up, and he's just saying they're so lazy, they're so entitled, they want handouts, uh, they're they're not working hard enough, and uh, just kind of all this laundry list of complaints. And and who do you imagine uh, that person making the complaints? What generation they belong to? And then the you know the one they're complaining about. What generation do you think that is? You would think it's like a, a baby boomer complaining about a millennial, right? Because we see that like a thousand times over for the last 10 years. Um, the quote was actually someone from the greatest generation complaining about baby boomers. Like, it's, it's not, new. Solomon, King Solomon in Israel, he got it completely right in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the emo book of wisdom in the Old Testament and uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, what has been is what will be and what has been is what will be done and there's nothing new under the sun. It's not that each generation that comes up actually is the worst that's ever been. It's that every generation that comes up, the older, they're always gonna complain. They're always gonna see what's wrong with them. They're always, there's always gonna be growing pains for that generation coming up just like there was for them. And, but it's not new. It's the same all the way back all the way back to Exodus, people making, uh, you know, negative assumptions about the people who are newer, lower than them, and just kind of broad strokes characterizing them in a certain way that lets, lets you write them off and feel like, I'm so much better than you. Uh, Kim Kardashian said it recently. I don't know if you guys saw it. Like, I don't know. It was not, I don't watch, like, Kim Kardashian news, but it, like, just showed up. It happened to me, and now it's going to happen to all of us. Where she said something like, uh, "People just don't want to work anymore." It seems people don't just want to do the hard work, and which is like silly coming from her, because if you know how she got famous, it's like it wasn't good, and it wasn't like a lot of work. Um, And then, I mean, it's silly for anyone to say because uh, maybe there are, and certainly there are, individuals who are lazy or who don't want to work or who do want handouts. I'm sure there are individual examples, but if you're going to paint broad strokes, everyone who is is starting out, everyone who's kind of struggling, everyone who's working paycheck to paycheck, uh, anyone who's kind of living off their their minimum wage job, you know, sometimes working not just one job, two or three, or they have their job and their side thing, um, and those lower wage jobs, like, they require a lot more physical effort than, than a lot of the, the higher paid ones. You know, if you, if you work in a chair, not saying you don't work hard or that that's not difficult, but you know, being on your feet for eight hours, like that's pretty physically demanding. Uh, one of the reasons that these broad strokes negative assumptions are allowed to thrive is because of the distance that exists on that ladder from, from higher and lower. Right, like if you just spent time, if you had close friends who were uh, working minimum wage jobs, didn't have much opportunity for upward mobility and uh, just kind of struggling paycheck to paycheck, if you knew them and spent time with them and you saw how hard they worked and, and everything they're looking for, all the opportunities that they, they want but they're not really there, like that would change the way that you think about it. One of the biggest places that that distance comes from, that's kind of invisible and, and we don't really think about, is that the distance in time, just how different things are now than they were even 30 years ago. You know, because you just think, well, here's what I did uh, when I was where you are, and, and here's how it worked out. And y- y- but it's, it's vastly different now than it was 30 years ago. In, um, in 1990, the median household income adjusted for inflation was $68,000. In 2020, it's $67,500. So we lost $500. Wages have stayed basically flat, exactly the same median household income. At the same time, in 1990, the median uh, home price was uh, adjusted for inflation, $280,000. In 2020, it's $428,000. 2022 it's like a million dollars. You know, really shot up quick there. Um, Megan and I, my wife, we just closed on a house recently. We've been looking for a long time, and, like, we just snuck in. If we were, like, three weeks later, we would have been completely priced out, and we couldn't buy anything. So we, like, God really blessed us and and answered those prayers. Um, Yearly tuition for a four-year degree at a public school in 1990, $6,500. Today, $26,000. Wages about the same and like, all the big things that you can do for, for you know improving you know, your financial position, going to college, buying a house, those things, astronomically more expensive. Uh, out of reach for some people. Uh, or, or saddling yourself with debt that is almost impossible to erase. Uh, uh, what the, the cost of homes almost doubled the cost of college four times Uh, to ignore those things, to just not even like factor that into your thinking, to ignore those things and just broad strokes paint and say, uh, people just aren't working hard enough. I worked hard and this is how it worked out for me. To kind of be stuck in that way of thinking, you become a lot like Pharaoh. No attempt at sympathy, no effort to get a better understanding, no effort to close the distance just saying, if you just did this, y- you could be like me. Uh, just work harder, don't complain, don't be distracted, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's what Pharaoh does. He, he ignores their situation, and, uh, and he makes their work harder. Like, he actually is in the position to do that, and so in verse 10, uh, it says this, so the taskmasters of the foremen, of the people, went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? The, the people are given an impossible task. I don't know when the last time it was you were making mud bricks. Um, it's been a few months for me, but if you remember back to that time in your life, you remember that the straw is pretty important, right? The, the straw is, is essential for the brick to hold its shape and have strength so it can actually be used. You can't make them without. It, it's the same reason uh, for like, st- steel, reinforced concrete, and the rebar running through it just helps it hold the shape and give more strength to it. Um, so the, the bricks can't be made without the straw. They're not given the straw. They go running around to find their own, and you, you sort of get Amazon vibes from Egypt here. Like, you guys read the stuff about Amazon. Like, you know, they can't go to the bathroom, and so they have to Find alternate means, like, it, it feels like the same thing. Amazon's been reading the Bible, and they said, this is, a, this is a good way to enhance our productivity. Um, this also reminds me of when I was in the Army. If you're new to this church, it might surprise you to hear that I was in the Army. I don't really give off veteran vibes. Um, I'm, I'm 30, and I still look too young to join, and, uh, and so I enlisted when I was 17. I looked like a baby then, and I'll just never be able to grow a beard. It's fine. Um, when I was in the Army, 17 years old, in boot camp, this is what they would do. They'd always be giving basically impossible tasks and then screaming at you to do them and punishing you when you can't do them because they're basically impossible. And the point in that training environment was to put us under a tremendous amount of stress to see if we could still function under a tremendous amount of stress because you don't want to like find out you're the kind of person who freezes under pressure when you're getting shot at. So like it makes sense, you know, like I get it. I still think they were meaner than they had to be, but you know, it's fine, forgive them, it's, it's, all, it's all okay. In, in Egypt, they're doing the same thing. They want to put the Hebrews under a tremendous amount of stress, but Pharaoh's doing it in order to break their spirits. We already saw the game plan in, in Exodus one, and this was under the previous Pharaoh where uh, he, he fears the Hebrews, he turns them into slaves. He mistreats them. He, he makes them seem less than human in the eyes of the, the, uh, the Egyptian society. Uh, he orders the killings of their children all so that they would never think of running away and, and he would lose the source of free labor uh, and they'd never think of rising up. They'd never think they have the, the strength to actually rise up and, and turn against Egypt. He, he wants to break their spirits and it works. It works. Verse 15 says this, Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They try. They try going directly to Pharaoh. They tell him, like, here's exactly what's happening. Here's why this is unfair. Here's why this is unjust. Uh, here's, Here's, you know, here's how we're being treated. And Pharaoh, he he refuses to listen. You can almost picture like him plugging his ears here, shouting, like, you are idle, you are idle. Like, You're just not gonna listen to a single thing they have to say. And, and now they feel defeated. Moses and Aaron, just like at the end of chapter four, filled them all with the hope of being set free, the hope of a better life, the, the hope that, hey, our God actually has seen us where we are, and he cares about us, and, and he hasn't abandoned us. And now it feels like they've gone backwards and things are worse than they ever were before. And that's why they say, the Lord will look on you and judge. They're they're accusing Moses and Aaron of doing evil to them. And you know, after this, like Moses has to be feeling this intense guilt and second guessing himself. He he can see what just happened and, and how he's responsible in it, even though he's he's listened to what God has to say he has to be questioning whether listening to God was the right thing to do in the first place or not. Uh, Here's here's what Moses does. When the people come to him and they kind of charge him with evil, Moses uh, says this in, in verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. It's not the progress that Moses was expecting or hoping for, and, and so he goes to God directly, and he brings his complaint directly to God, which, by the way, that's what you should do. Um, when you're frustrated with God, you should bring your complaints directly to him. It's not it's not better or it's not more faithful to kind of push down those thoughts and pretend that they're not there. There's the same thing we get with Job. If you guys know Job, uh, the book of Job in the Old Testament is this guy who is just, his life is destroyed in a day. And and one day, all of his children are killed. uh, All of his wealth is taken away. His body is covered with sores. And initially, he responds like this in chapter one, Uh, this is Job, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's an amazing response that he's able to worship God in the midst of all that loss. And and the reason is because Job actually loves God. He doesn't only love the things that God does for him or the things that God's given him. um, But it doesn't end in chapter one. There's 42 chapters in Job. It's very long, And a good part of those 42 chapters is Job complaining about his situation and complaining about God, complaining to God, actually. And so, just for a sampling of that, in Job 24, uh, we read this, this is Job speaking, why are not times of judgment kept by the Almighty, and why do those who know him never see his days? They wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow, yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security and they are supported and his eyes are upon their ways. Job is observing that there are people who do outright evil and that's what verses uh, two to 20 that we skip over here. It's all examples of people who are doing outright evil and he says those people, their lives are great they have great health, uh, you know, they're, they're surrounded by the people they care about, they're, their lives are secure, they have money, they have all these great things happening for those people who do outright evil, and at the same time, here's Job, who is the most righteous man on the earth. And we know that because God says that about him, there's no one more righteous on the earth than Job, and Job is suffering the worst out of anyone, and he's saying, how could God do that? how why is God forgetting judgment why is he letting the the people who are evil have an easy time and then me who loves God and worships god I'm, I'm going through all of this he can't understand why and, and he's always asking through these 42 chapters he's asking to uh, be able to make his case directly to God and it's good that job does that that he wants to bring his case directly to God um, because whenever he whenever he complains about God. He's got these three friends with him who are just bad friends, and uh, every time he says, like, this is what God's doing, and this isn't right, and I don't like this, the friends cut him off, and they say, listen, you can't talk to God like that. You can't say that about God. That's not what he's like. God blesses people who are good, and, and he punishes people who are evil, and that's, and, and because of their way of thinking, they think Job must have done something to deserve the suffering that he's receiving. Like, that's their mindset about God. They're, In their effort to defend God's goodness, they mischaracterize him, so much so that at the very end, when God shows up and God does speak to Job, after God speaks to Job, we see this in uh, chapter 42. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, one of his friends, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. That's kind of an amazing statement. That God says Job has spoken of him what is right, even with all the, the complaints and frustrations that he's throwing at God through these 42 chapters of discourse. And there's, there's a lot that goes into this uh, that we are not doing a sermon on Job so we can't totally get into, um, about how what Job says about God is right, even though he does say some things about God that are not. Uh, what, what we need to take away from this right now is, listen, God can handle your frustrations. He's strong. I don't think that necessarily gives you the freedom to, um, well, maybe in some ways it does, in, in the depths of your panic, your confusion. I mean, Moses says to God, why have you done evil to this people? Like Moses accuses God of doing evil, saying this is an evil thing that's happening. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? You You don't have to pretend that everything's okay or everything's fine or that you're not frustrated, you're not upset. God is strong enough you can throw every ounce of pain and confusion and doubt and sorrow at God and he can withstand it. You don't have to bury it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to pretend. You can go directly to him. He wants you to. Moses is great at this throughout, you know, throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All the time that he spends with God's people. Spends a long time with them. He has a lot of complaints to make. He's always going to God with them goes to God with his complaint, and God responds like this. This is as far as we're going in Exodus today. It's the first verse of chapter six. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out uh, of his land. God's response is, I'm not done yet. This, This is only the beginning. Wait around to see the end. This is the answer we get sometimes that we hate to get. This is the worst answer to get. But it's be patient. Be patient. Wait on me. Trust. You'll see. You'll see in the end what my plan was. You'll see how I'm bringing this all together. It's not the end yet. It's it's the hardest thing to hear, especially when you're in the midst of that, that confusion, that pain, and that sorrow. I can confirm For my two-year-old, this is the worst thing she could hear. Like, if she wants something and I say not now, even if it's like five minutes from now, you would think I threatened her with violence the way that she reacts. Be patient. Trust God, wait on God. His plan is moving forward when you can't see how there could possibly be any good that comes from what you're going through right now. That's only because you can't see what God can see. What you can see is him. You can see him. I love the contrast that Exodus 5 gives us with the human nature that we see in Exodus 5, with the nature of God that we see, especially through Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what we see about God's nature through Jesus, how that contrasts with the the human nature that we see in Pharaoh. Pharaoh hates the the suffering Hebrew slaves. He doesn't even view them as, as fully human. They're less than human and he gives them this impossible task so that he can crush their spirit. God loves people who are suffering in the darkness of their own sin and rather than giving them this, this incredible heavy burden to lift, this work to do, he goes and he does the impossible task for us. He lifts the impossible burden for us to restore our spirits. John 3.16, the most recognizable verse in the Bible for good reason. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sends his son Jesus to make a way for us to be forgiven and receive eternal life. And it's something only he can do. Only Jesus can do it. Jesus, he he lives a perfect sinless life. He's perfectly righteous before the Father his entire life as as a human. And then on the cross, he goes and he trades places with us. The the doctrinal phrase that we use for this, this is the, the great exchange. Jesus exchanges places with us. And so all the righteousness that he earned in his life, that is credited to your account. And all of your sin, the debt that you owe, that's credited to Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus pays the debt that you owe. With, with his life and, and suffering under God's wrath for sin, he pays the debt that you owe. He accomplishes redemption for us. Through his suffering. Like Jesus suffers like Job suffers. He suffers worse than Job suffers. And it's through his suffering and through his resurrection that he accomplishes redemption for us that he forgives us and he sets us free and he gives us the hope of eternal life. Job never saw it clearly. But we get to see it clearly, how God is able to work through the the worst injustice, the greatest suffering, to make peace and to give hope and to bring new life, to set free. What does God say to Moses? Be patient. Wait on me. I'm not done yet. This is only the beginning. Wait until you see the end. I don't know what everyone in this room might be experiencing or going through. I do know that over this last year, I've met with, talked with, prayed with a number of people who are going through some of the worst loss and, and suffering that you can imagine. And I'm sure there's even more of that, that I'm not aware of people who are, who are suffering in silence and, and who don't like to share or talk about it. If you're in the middle of something hard, I hope, first of all, I hope that you, you bring all that to God. I hope that you don't feel like you have to push it down or ignore it, or pretend it's not there. You can you can throw every ounce of your pain, every ounce of your sorrow, and your grief, and your confusion, and your doubt at God, and he can handle it. As you do that, try to be patient. Try to wait on him. Trust him. There's an end that you can't see. You can see him. You can see Jesus. You can see how, how Jesus is brought through that dark night of suffering into his, his resurrection and into new life. That, that's God's, that's his process. That's his plan for us. And you don't have to wait alone. Uh, you, you please, you can reach out to us. You can let us know. We want to we wanna pray with you. We can just sit with you and listen to you and hear everything that you have to say. Um, if, if you have any needs, we want to do everything we can to help meet those needs for you. Even, even like financial needs, we have a benevolence fund, and and we want to put that fund to work, blessing people. If uh, if you're not in that situation right now, if you're in kind of a, a better season in your life, um, m- make the best use of the time. Right, don't use the time that you're in this good season to. Um, to, to look down on or make broad strokes assumptions about people who are struggling a little bit worse than you and just and say well you 're complaining about this and you say this is hard, well, you should just do this, you should just do that like don't don't use the time to be making those assumptions and, and looking people looking at people like Pharaoh looks at the Hebrews, L- look at people the way God looks at people look at people with compassion, look at people with a heart to help uh, make make some effort to close the distance and get to know and actually listen to and understand what people are going through? Remember, you need to show people who God is before they're going to care about what he says. You, you can show people who God is partly through your actions. Not entirely through your actions. Y- you also need to share with words. You need to be able to tell people I'm a Christian. My hope is in Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is who he is. This is what I believe he can do for you. You need to be able to share those words um, because I don't know if this ever existed or if it's an urban legend because when I was like growing up in church, there was always reference to like a bumper sticker or this phrase that people would use that said, uh, preach the gospel everywhere and when necessary, use words. And I don't know if it was just mocked into oblivion or if it's still around, I don't know. But it is silly. It's silly because if, if that's like your mindset, preach the gospel everywhere through your actions and then sometimes use words, you can't really do that. If all you're doing is your actions, then people see that and they just think you're like a nice person. Like you can't hold the door open for someone and then they're going to respond by repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Jesus, right? Like This that, is not going to happen. You have to be able to tell people about your faith, tell people about Jesus, point people to him, and then back it up with your actions. Uh, tell people there's a God who loves them. There, there's a God who is willing to pay the ultimate price for them. And that because of Jesus, we, we know that God's plan for us is good in the end. It's eternal life with him. It's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more loss. All things new. If, uh, if you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, I hope you know that you can make a decision. You can make a decision to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him and his work on the cross for you, to trust in him alone. That that is what forgives me. That's what erases the debt of my sin. That's what makes me righteous before God and puts me in a right relationship with him. You can make a decision to put your faith in him and to follow him with your life. When you do that, when you make that decision, when, when you put your faith in him, that's when the great exchange happens. That's when you receive the, the gift of his righteousness. That's when your sin is transferred to Jesus and it's paid in full. And he makes you new. I hope that, uh, I hope that you explore that. If, if you're still exploring who Jesus is, I, I hope that you're open to that. And, and maybe today, if you've been exploring or if you feel moved in your heart, you feel like God is calling you, I, I hope that today you make a decision to put your faith in Jesus. Let me pray for us.